I heard the other day and I, and I, and I really loved it, that mental health is not the absence of bad feelings, right? It is the capacity to allow all feelings to pop up in the appropriate context and knowing how to respond to them in a way that feels reasonable and manageable and healthy, right? And so we can't take away the stress from work, but how do we help you better manage your stress, right? A lot of women have this like superwoman mentality where you have to be everything for everybody at the same time. I had a mom describe to me that she felt like a vending machine. Like she was just like dispensing, 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 dispensing energy, effort, time, money, resources. And she just felt so empty and depleted. Hi guys, I'm your host, Megan Van Diepender, and this is the Empowerhood Podcast. I am so happy to have you here. You know, motherhood is hard, and we are going to talk about all of the hard things that just are not talked about enough. So buckle up and enjoy this episode. Well, again, I'm happy to have you. So everyone out there listening, we have Dr. Jennifer here with us today. Can you say your last name for me? Because I don't want to like butcher it. Okwerku. Okwerku. So yeah, really pretty. Everyone butchers my last name. So like I always like to just ask how to say it. Aquerku. Okay, that's beautiful. So we have Dr. Jennifer Aquerku. Did I say it right? Yes. Okay, awesome. And she is a reproductive psychiatrist. And we are going to talk today all about, you know, mental health through our whole entire like motherhood journey before and within. So I'm really excited for this topic. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Um, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you? Who is Jennifer? <laughs> Um, that's a, it's a big question. It's one I still try to answer for myself <laughs> every day, you know, with multiple evolutions of where I guess I am in my life and my goals and how they're changing. But, um, as you mentioned, you know, I'm a reproductive psychiatrist. Um, I grew up in upstate New York and left for all my education and training. Um, I went to Harvard undergrad and then I did a master's at Columbia and then went to the University of Virginia for medical school and then back to Harvard for my residency in psychiatry in adult psychiatry and then did um, some specialized training in reproductive psychiatry and women's mental health at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and then eventually made my way back back home. Um, wow. Through that journey, I picked up a husband and two kids. <laughs> <laughs> Just picked him up. No big deal. Yeah, along the way. Uh, add to cart. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and just through the journey of like becoming a doctor and just my experiences as a woman, you know, as a black woman, um, as a mom that really informed my experience in medicine. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, my experience about what I wanted to get out of the, the, the talent that I have for helping other people and like the privilege that I have for, for bringing, you know, science and knowledge to people who are making very tangible and real decisions about their health and well-being. Um, I also write, I'm a columnist. I really enjoy narratives and storytelling. I got in at Columbia, I got my master's in narrative medicine, which is exploring the interpersonal aspects of medicine through like literature and like humanities subjects. Um, oh, wow. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Writing has been like a creative outlet for me. Um, and also just a way to like synthesize and process a lot of the things that I, medicine is really hard. It's a very yeah. difficult field to be in. Um, and so writing sometimes just allows me to synthesize my thoughts. Um, and I've kind of done that in parallel with my medical training and um, 
yeah, so I guess that's how I'd summarize myself. I, I'm a physician writer, I suppose, and a women's mental health advocate. Okay. Wow. Amazing. I mean, I, that's a lot of stuff that you have done, and you're so young. So, I mean, props to you for sure. So much respect. And you also um, went to – I'm from Boston originally. So, okay. yeah, so you were right in my, my hood. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's amazing. So what brought you to like women's mental health, I guess, as a doctor, like what really, like, why is that your passion? Yeah. Um, it really got solidified for me in my third year of residency. So, um, in, you know, to become a doctor, obviously you have to go through, you go through college and then you go through medical school. And then after you graduate from medical school, you are then a doctor, but you go into residency to specialize. That's where you actually learn the tangible skills that allow you to like treat people. You have the knowledge after med school, but you really solidify the knowledge and what that means during residency. And as a psychiatric resident, I initially thought I was going to go into forensic psychiatry, which is the intersection of psychiatry and the law. So um, a lot of criminal justice issues that have like a mental health component to them. Um, Sometimes issues with like custody things with like kids or Mm. um, will contesting because somebody might not have been in the right frame of mind when they sign documents, et cetera. Yes. Um, and I was like geared up to go into forensic psychiatry, like getting my applications ready for fellowship um, where you kind of learn to be even an even further specialized um, doctor. Um, but then I was pregnant, you know, um, I was pregnant in my third year of residency and um, my program allowed me, it was very generous. They allowed me 12 weeks of leave six of those weeks were like sick days, I guess, but the other six weeks were an elective where I just basically had to read a bunch of papers or like material and like, you know, synthesize or summarize it on maternal and infant mental health. Okay. When I started doing all this reading, I was like, oh my God, there's this whole field of psychiatrists and mental health professionals who are specialized in the needs of women during this particular time Mm-hmm. of their lives. Yes. Um, and it was really kind of that maternal and infant mental health exposure that was my gateway to the field of reproductive psychiatry. So perinatal psychiatry deals with the issues of like pregnancy, like that whole bubble from like, you know, fertility mm-hmm. to pregnancy to postpartum. Okay. Um, and perinatal psychiatrists are kind of like a, a subset or a subtype of reproductive psychiatrist. Okay the entry for me was really perinatal psychiatry that got me at the right place at the right time. Cause there I was postpartum with, I call it my mess. Like, you know, I had my bed and like my bed sheets that were all like swirled up around me and like the breast milk that was like on the side table and you know, like the wipes and all this stuff that's just kind of strewn about you. Cause you like live in this like little nest. Yes. And I was reading all of this information and it just struck me. I was like, wow, like half of our population is capable of, pregnancy, Mm -hmm. right? And as a general adult psychiatrist, I did not get exposed to any of this material in a meaningful way as a graduate from like one of Harvard's training programs, right? right? Right. And it was because I was pregnant and only because I was doing this reading elective that I got exposed. And so that that made me put down the forensic applications. And I was like, I I have to learn more about this. And so since then, I just kind of hit the ground running and, you know, as I mentioned, learn more about perinatal psychiatry, but then also reproductive psychiatry as, as a field. Okay. Now, can you explain the difference between those two one more time, reproductive and perinatal? 
Yeah. So reproductive is like a bit like a big um, bigger umbrella, I would say. Okay. So as a reproductive psychiatrist, I tell people I am specialized in treating mental health or psychiatric issues that pop up around periods of hormonal transition. Okay. Across the life cycle or across the lifespan, there are multiple times that this happens, right? Mm-hmm. When people first start menstruating or getting their periods, that is hormonal fluctuation and transitions that occur. So some people have struggle with like PMS or some people struggle with something that we call premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is a more very severe, severe um, form of PMS, if you will. Okay. Um, all the way through the end of your reproductive life cycle, when you're going through the menopausal transition, you know, your estrogen levels are declining during that time. And some women might be more experiencing more anxiety or depression, you know, sometimes for the first time in their lives, secondary to this hormonal transition. Okay. In the middle of your reproductive life, life cycle is the perinatal time. Okay. So that's the struggle with infertility, right? Mm -hmm. Infertility is just a stressful way, uh, like it's just a stressful time, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, medications used to address infertility that are used by IVF doctors sometimes have mental health yeah. side effects. Yeah, absolutely. Treatment, right? Right. Um, yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, I manage medications before pregnancy and during pregnancy. Like I do a lot of preconception consultations. So if somebody is on medication and they want to be pregnant, mm-hmm. they're like, is my medication regimen okay for me to try to conceive on? Okay. Um, if it's not, I work with people to kind of optimize what that means to feel mentally well and prepare them for a successful pregnancy and postpartum period. Right. You know, I manage medications during pregnancy or if somebody is becomes depressed or develops anxiety or OCD during pregnancy, I can help with all of that. Okay. And then that brings us to the postpartum period. That's right. one of the biggest drops in, in hormones a human being can. Absolutely, right. Yeah, and you are at higher risk, right? Uh, you will have a heightened biological vulnerability to psychiatric things going wrong during that period of time, not only biologically, but also it's a heavy lift, like becoming a mom, right? right. It's a psychological, like whole reframing of your whole self, yes. right? Um, in terms of a family unit, it can be, taxing like you're all reorienting mm-hmm. this new family life yeah um, it can be stressful trying to think about yourself as a professional person and a mom mm-hmm. and like all identity negotiations kind of happen and all that can add up to someone has an episode of depression because it's just too much happening all at once the convergence of all of those factors mm-hmm. um yeah so reproductive psychiatry again is that kind okay. of arching umbrella from menses to menopause, perinatal psychiatry is kind of baby making central. <laughs> right. Okay. That totally makes sense. Thank you for clarifying that. I just want everyone to know, you know, exactly what you do. I know when I met you, cause I met you at the women's expo briefly and, you know, just even seeing like reproductive psychiatrists as a whole, like I had never heard of that as like, um, a niche, I guess you can say. And I feel like even just seeing the words on your card, I felt supported. I'm not even having a baby. I work with postpartum women though. So I'm just like, wow, like there is something out there to specifically help women through this. Cause I mean, so many people deal with postpartum depression. And then of course, like, I think like 80% of people get postpartum blues, which I mean, I'd love for you to clarify those two things because I mean, within the whole motherhood journey of being postpartum, you know, in itself, you have sleep deprivation, you have a new child. Like you said, you're dealing with like, you know, redefining yourself as a human being, also your whole family unit and whatnot. So 
what would you consider, you know, postpartum blues and postpartum depression? Like how can women kind of be like, when should I reach out for help type of thing? Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, anytime in your life you're going through any kind of significant transition, you're bound to have some, some degree of overwhelm or anxiety or even like maybe a dip in your mood. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the postpartum period is no different. As I mentioned, it has this additional layer of this biological, you know, component to it. So it's not uncommon for women to feel or like birthing people to feel, you know, a little down, overwhelmed, maybe a little bit weepy, Mm -hmm. you know, tired, like that sort of thing. But the key is that baby blues is transient, meaning it's temporary. It doesn't last a very long time. Okay. Right. And the symptoms are more on the mild, milder end of things. Okay. Depression, right? Postpartum depression mm-hmm. is probably along the the line of at least two weeks of symptoms like this, right? Okay. And it's associated with lack of joy or pleasure, right? It's hard for you to feel like you're connecting with your baby. It's hard for you to uh, get yourself out of bed. You might feel low energy, right? You might not you might neglect yourself. Right. And I, and I, my, my mom's this kind of example when you're not showering in the postpartum period, is it mom life is getting in the way, right? Mm -hmm. You want to shower, but you got to wash the bottle and you got to do the dishes and you got to, you know, get the baby ready for daycare or whatever it is. Right. right? But you still want to shower. The desire to take care of yourself is still fundamentally there. Right. A depressive state. People are like, I don't care about showering. I don't deserve to shower who cares about the shower kind of thing. Like that self neglect is kind of that sinister undertone that kind of might be present there. Okay. Um, Sometimes even like uh, suicidal thoughts might creep in. Like my family's better off without me. I don't deserve to be here. Things would be better if I wasn't here. Or even if it starts getting associated with you start thinking of strategies to hurt yourself or end your life. That is more characteristic of, you know, depression. Yeah. Um, Just because baby blues, however, is transient and just because it's milder doesn't mean that there isn't support for it. Okay. Right. There are ways you can help yourself through that. You know, I think education and being no, like know that this is part, can be part of your, your, um, your postpartum story, I think is empowering in and of itself. Right. Because recognize like, oh my gosh, I'm crying about this spilled milk. I typically wouldn't cry about spilled breast milk. Breast, spilled breast milk might be something you should cry about. <laughs> I've definitely cried over that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're just aware that these hormonal things, this hormonal transition is happening to you. It's very common that it should wear off over time. And like you can do X, Y, and Z to support yourself. You are much more in an empowered place than a like, oh my God, what is happening to me place. Right. Right. If you notice it becoming more severe, lasting a long time, um, starting to impact your ability to function. Because that's that's the difference between having symptoms and having a disorder, right? right? A lot of people have symptoms, right? Everybody has a down day. That doesn't mean everybody has depression. Right. But if you are having down days more often than not, and it's getting in the way for your, the ability for you to live your life in a goals driven, value driven kind of way, right? That's when the disorder part comes in because that mental health symptom is then standing in the way of your goals and what, what you want to be doing with your, with your time and your, and your energy and your effort. Okay. 
Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I think even just like bringing awareness to how you're describing it and putting it out there for knowledge, just for people to have for when they do have a baby. I think just like you said, knowing that and that it might happen instead of like being caught off guard by maybe having these feelings, um, I think is just so helpful within itself. Because I think a lot of times moms might just think like something's wrong with me. You know, like I something's wrong with me. Why am I crying when I have this beautiful baby? Or, you know, why am I feeling depressed when I have this gift? Um, And do you feel like a lot of times that's why people don't reach out to get help because they feel like they shouldn't feel like that within postpartum depression? Or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's multifaceted. Like one, I think people are terrified. They're like worried, right? They're like, oh my gosh, the words I hear my patients say is like, oh my gosh, I thought I was going crazy. So I didn't tell anyone because I was worried they were going to take my baby away or that, you know, they're just really scared, right? Because they don't don't know or they don't understand that there's a spectrum of experiences and they may have been on the total, having a totally normal experiences with baby blues, right? Right. they're even scared to verbalize that because of the of stigma or what they think it might mean about their own larger capacity to be a mom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think also too, other than people policing themselves, like not reaching out for help themselves, sometimes they just don't even know that there's help. Even if they wanted to get help, they don't know what the thing is called to Google, right? Right. Well, like I said, I never knew there was a reproductive psychiatrist. That's why I'm like, you need to come on here and talk about this. So like everyone can know that this exists. Well, I mean, even you said you were at Harvard and you didn't know, right? Right. You didn't even know and you were the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get this out there. I mean, obviously like I started this podcast to give women so much support, of course, within like motherhood, but I mean, this is, this is huge what you have going on. So I think it's really, really, really important. Yeah. So I think just like having the language to articulate the experience to when you reach out for help, like this is what I'm experiencing, you know, and the keywords, the buzzwords that get your OB or a nurse practitioner or your primary care doctor or your psychiatrist to register, oh, this might be symptomatic of X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then third, like most people don't like, there aren't that many psychiatrists, you know, in this country. Right. And there are yeah. even fewer reproductive psychiatrists. Right. So I think most, most mental health care in this country is actually provided by primary care doctors. Okay. Um, you know, and they, and they do their best, right. right. They are not mental health specialists. Yes. They have so much out and met, primary care physicians are unsung heroes. They literally deal with so much Yeah. and it, and it can be quite, quite challenging. And so in that 15 minute follow-up appointment where you're trying to like express your concerns, like they're trying their best, but it might not hit all the things that you need in order to experience full resolution of the symptoms that you're experiencing. Yeah. So I think just part of not having maybe access, easy access to mental health professionals, you know, it can be very hard when you're in the throes of the early postpartum days, like if you're feeling depressed or even if you're having baby blues and you want to talk to a therapist about it, how quickly can you get into a therapist? Right. Right. Is you're it- so, oh my God, you're so, you're so right. Well, you know. that's why I feel like, I mean, it's been coming up a lot on the podcast. Cause I mean, obviously I interview a lot of small business owners and you know, they kind of went through the same thing, like something happened to them and they didn't have the support in it. So they started a business because there was a need type of thing. But a lot of it comes up is like when we're postpartum, we go to the doctor and of course our doctor does the best they can, but they don't have that time to take with us for all of our postpartum needs, you know, pelvic floor or dysthesis recti, mental health, you know, all of these things that come along with the sleep, sleep support, you know, for your child and, and lactation consultants, all of these things. But like, 
they can't fit all that in. We need like the resources to, even if they gave us a card, you know, with your name on it, like talk to Dr. Jennifer. She can help you through, you know, if you had a miscarriage or, you know, if you're feeling these feelings of depression, you know, we need to have these resources from our primary care maybe because otherwise we don't even know that it exists or that we have a need to be supported. You know, you're just kind of like, oh, this is normal to feel right. this way. And you kind of go on your day and, and do the best you can, right? I mean, we're all just doing the best we can. But there is that support out there. And we just have to find it and be able to access it, right? <laughs> like yeah. you said, I mean, if we wait until we feel depressed and we try to get in with a psychiatrist, most likely you wouldn't be able to get in right away, you know, when you have that need. So knowing ahead of time that you might need that help would be huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I heard you say too in the beginning um, that you help manage medicine, you know, while, medications while they're pregnant or because I have had, um, you know, a couple clients that are on medication and, you know, they went off of it to become pregnant because the doctor didn't recommend it and their mental health really, really suffered and to the point where, you know, they had a harder time recovering postpartum and also they didn't really want to have any other children because their mental health suffered so strongly, you know, when yeah. they got off of their medication. So, I mean, what would you recommend for that? Like contacting a, a reproductive psychiatrist to be able to help manage that? Like, so like if they did have a want for more children, they would be able to do that. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's possible. Yes. Yeah. Part of like one of my favorite things to do is actually preconception consultations, like people who just want to know how they optimize their mental health as they start trying to conceive and wanting to have like a healthy pregnancy and postpartum period. So it's important for people to know that most medications are actually okay in pregnancy. Okay. Mm. So if you suddenly find yourself, you know, 50% of pregnancies in this country are unplanned. Right. So right. if you suddenly find yourself pregnant, the best thing to do is not, oh my God, cold turkey, stop all your medications. Right. Right. Um, yeah. You should definitely seek consultation with a knowledgeable reproductive psychiatrist or somebody who at least has like women's mental health expertise okay. and training. Always question it. If somebody tells you to stop taking your medications during pregnancy or even tries to switch up too many of your medications during pregnancy. Yeah, that's something okay. I would I would definitely counsel people to do. It's better to be slow and thoughtful about this because as a reproductive psychiatrist, I tell people, I never talk to people about risks and benefits, right? We always mm -hmm. talk to people about risks versus risk. There is risk, yes, to taking medication during pregnancy. Right. And when all patients, I talk to them about what those risks are, what they look like, how we manage them. Mm -hmm. But there are also risks to not taking medication that you need during pregnancy. Right. Right. right? There are, there's risks to untreated or undertreated anxiety. There are risks to untreated or undertreated depression. Right. Right. These are right. things, that, you know, worsening your risk for things like gestational hypertension. Mm -hmm. Right. That can be informed by having wild anxiety, like untreated anxiety. Right. You right. know? Yeah. And so, yeah. And so when people are like, oh my gosh, the safest thing to do is to stop taking my medications. I'm like, no, no, no. The safest thing to do is to come see a reproductive psychiatrist right. or a parent psychiatrist and systematically walk through your medications and let's see either how we can optimize or what's okay to continue or how else we can support your mental health. Going off cold turkey is oftentimes backfires. Going off cold turkey inc actually increases your risk for severe relapse during a time of 
heightened biological. So you have like two hits, right? You're stopping your meds and you're going through this period of increased risk, the stress, biological stress of pregnancy, and then all of the like psychological and environmental, emotional, all of that stuff is happening out. You don't have the protection of your medication. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know anything about medication, but that's in my mind, I'm like, well, the need for your medication doesn't really go away. It's probably like you're almost more need your medication while you're pregnant because your hormones are different. You're emotional and yeah. Okay. That's great advice. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people needed to hear that. So I really hope they reach out. Um, cause yeah, that's, that's a big, that's a big deal. And I, I love that answer because just cold turkey doesn't really give a solution, I feel like. It mean maybe you're protecting the child a little bit more, but like you said, you have to protect the mom too. And yeah. I mean, as I was reading over your website, like I really I just I loved how you were like, instead of surviving, let's thrive. And like what are some of the ways that you help women go from, you know, just survival to thriving? Because obviously in our society, it's kind of like portrayed as the mom should be like a frazzled kind of mess. Um, what are some of the ways that you love to help women get rid of that mentality? Yeah, I think part of that is just recognizing where we are in our lives, right? Practicing self-compassion and grace, and then also recognizing the larger context from which we're coming, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Sometimes people are just surviving, right? Because of the way that their work life is set up, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So for my professional moms, you know, I, I offer a bunch of resources. It's like, you don't have to you don't have to do it like this. Right. <laughs> and oftentimes we don't have conversations about other ways of existing. Yep. Right. We don't have models to follow. We don't have right. scripts to use to ask our boss for a change in schedule. I'm still working the same number of hours, but can I split my schedule to look like this to better accommodate the need to pick up my kid from daycare? Yeah. So instead of living at that, you know, the intersection of those work to home transitions where you're always frazzled and like really stressed and dropping all the balls. Like you don't, we don't have to do this. Right. Right. Sometimes taking the opportunity to pause and examine the systems that we are, that we are living in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. I'm a psychiatrist and I'm treating you one-on-one, but sometimes society can influence the development of symptoms. Sometimes our environment yes. can influence the development of symptoms. Yes. Um, and so I like to talk a lot about that with, with, um, you know, with my patients, with all the people that, that I work with, like, not just, okay, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning, but how do you, what, how do you feel about your life? Right. right? How, how, how is your stress level? How can we mitigate this? How can we mitigate these stress levels? Right. Right. Um, I heard the other day and I, and I, and I really loved it that mental health is not the absence of bad feelings, right? Mm-hmm. It is the capacity to allow all feelings to pop up in the appropriate context yeah. and knowing how to respond to them in a way that feels reasonable and manageable and healthy. Yes. Right. Yes. And so we can't take away the stress from work, but how do we help you better manage your stress? Yeah. Right. A lot of women have this like superwoman mentality where you have to be everything for everybody at the same time. I had a mom describe to me that she felt like a vending machine. Like she was just like dispensing, 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 right. dispensing energy, effort, time, money, resources. And she just felt so empty and yeah. depleted. Yeah. She's like, I don't know. She says, she's, you know, I don't know if I, if I'm struggling with depression or I'm just, my life is just yeah, not great. Right. Yeah. 
So sometimes I literally prescribe on a prescription pad or in a note or whatever. I'm like, I am prescribing to you some alone time. <laughs> Seriously. Where- that's, like, <laughs> that's like my job. So I'm a women's health coach and a pediatric sleep consultant. But I mean, really, I help parents, you know, find time for themselves. We all have the same 24 hours, right? It's yeah. really just how you use it um, yeah. to, you know, it's just you can't continue to give, give, give without taking care of yourself. It's just it's not right. going to happen. You're going to run it's, yourself into the ground. Yeah. It's not even like a luxury thing or like a bougie thing yeah. or anything. And I tell people when you're, your alone time is not walking the dog because you are you are taking care of another being right. on your dog. It's yeah. not grocery shopping. Yep. Right. It is something that is totally purposeless and it's just for you. Yes. Right. Start small. I'm not telling you to upend, you know, every commitment that you have, right. but it can be something as small as a t- just 20 minutes to yourself, maybe yeah. a few times a week and build from there. Sometimes people even feel uncomfortable taking that 20 minutes. Yes. Because we're so we're so conditioned yep. to you know sometimes be people pleasing right and sacrificing yeah. and for everybody else's needs are met before your own and that leads you to that place of of survival right yeah I describe it as living like paycheck to paycheck in terms of your like energy yeah you just have nothing left well and you have end. that guilt that if you do ask for help or if you do take that time for yourself that you're somehow like failing as a mother that you're not there twenty four seven right. I, I don't, I mean, I think, I think it's partially how I was raised. Like I really had to bring awareness to that. Um, but I don't, I don't know why that is like that in our society, but I mean, I definitely, I love helping women find themselves within, you know, the chaos. Cause I mean, being a mom is hard. There's no doubt about it. Right. And it's hard to balance all the roles, which I want to ask you how you do that in a minute, but, um, it, you can do it though. There, there are solutions. Just like you said, we can find a way, no matter what you're doing with your work, no matter what your financial circumstances are, you know, it doesn't have to cost yeah. you money necessarily. You know, we can find a yeah. way to, I, I think, you know, it's important. It's important for me, for my moms to know that like asking for help is not atypical. Mm-hmm. Asking for help is not a normal and asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Yeah. And what I tell people is like back in the day, you know, when we used to live in caves and hunt and gather, we did everything as a collective. Yep. We did everything as a group. Yes. Well, if you had a baby, you had sisters, aunts, mm-hmm. moms, grandmas, all of babies were raised in a collective. Mm-hmm. Right. But in our modern society, America is very big on self-reliance. America is very big on individualism. And so we kind of take that, we, we really take that to heart. So moms are leaving the hospital postpartum and coming back to like an empty house where they have to figure out all of this stuff on their yeah. own, right? Yeah. And so when any struggles pop up, it feels like a step outside of the norm, yes. right? To recruit anybody to your village, whether that's a psychiatrist, you know, a coach, whether that's a nutrition specialist, whether that's a lactation consultant, to have mm-hmm. any extra help feels like, oh my gosh, I'm failing. I need help. Yeah. Need to work Even it's asking a-, a friend. I mean, some people or family, people have yeah. a hard time doing that. Not a failure, right? Yeah. Asking for help is not a failure. It's not atypical because we were not designed to be raising babies in isolation. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I feel like even now, right now where we are, most women work too. So it's like you're adding that on top of like, all right, I have my maternity, but then I have to go back to work and I still have to do all these jobs while I'm working full time. And it's just the stress is just insane to think that we can do that all our, yeah. on all, all our own. And um, 
yeah, I have a whole episode coming out about asking for help. You'll have to listen to it. You'll probably <laughs> laugh, but yeah, it's, um, it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's so important, right? It's like life changing, just asking for help. And this could even start with a friend, right? Being like, can someone come over and wash my dishes for me or like do my laundry? Um, and then hopefully you could build up your way to professional support wherever you need it. Um, but I think it is, it's just so hard to admit that you can't do it all. Because again, as you said, like in our society, it's portrayed that women have to do it on their own. And that's not, that's not how it is. It's not how it ever was. You're right. Families lived within families. You know, you had your grandparents, the aunts and uncles, everyone was like a village to help. And now you're right. We're in isolation. And just that in that self, like we're going to be depressed being by ourselves within our pain and struggle. And it's just, it's a never ending battle. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to take a second to point out the difference between isolation and solitude. Okay. Right. Yeah. Isolation is kind of that has that negative connotation to it, right? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I have to do everything by myself. I don't have any support. I don't have any sort of safety net here. Yes. Solitude is a thing I prescribe to my. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because too much of anything is, is bad. Solitude are those, those kind of moments where you're able to center yourself and pour back into yourself without external sensory mm-hmm. things pulling your 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 attention and your focus outside of you yes right so a little bit of solitude can really go a long way as you're trying mm-hmm. to like survive this mother right motherhood yes. where yes. there's so many demands on your on your time yes your quiet time to yourself that's yeah. your solitude yeah. yes yeah. isolation I think of as like you're hiding from something almost like you're almost like hiding your struggle you know we want to come I out of isolation so, yeah but it could also be like self-imposed and also societally imposed right like yeah. yeah yeah it could be either for sure I mean any type of isolation though I mean it's not it's not a good thing for a long time yeah, that's for so. sure yeah. yeah so how do you juggle it all I mean you have two little ones you have this amazing career you have a husband tell us your secrets uh I don't know if I have secrets to to share um every day I spiral and I'm like how do I make it all fit how do I make it <laughs> Again, the same 24 hours, right? How do I make it all work? Um, I think one, like, you know, part of the reason I moved back to the Capital District, like upstate New York, was for more family support because we were living in Boston before. Um, I think my husband and I recognized how how crazy it was to have two kids and no family around. Yes. Um, So that certainly has been, uh, you know, a tremendous, a tremendous help. I think having other professional moms who are, who I look up to kind of asking them like, Oh, how do you, how do you make it work? And they're all like, Oh, I don't. So it kind of normalize it normalizes yes. that, you know, you can't do it all maybe at the same time, but you can right. maybe do it all over the arc of your whole, you know, professional life. And I think day to day, just kind of focusing on recentering what's important, right. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing the times where I absolutely have to be there for my family makes it okay to step away from work when I need to. Right. And, you know, being a doctor, sometimes people do need you in an urgent or crisis, you know, situation. And so recognizing that at times I might need to put my attention, my attention there. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, a common saying that, you know, we're always trying to juggle a lot of things, right. But not all of those balls are the same. Some of them are glass and some of them are rubber, right. right? The rubber balls you can drop, and they will eventually bounce back, you, yeah. right? But the glass ones, if you drop those, right, you can't get that back. Right. So 
I think focusing on what your glass balls are, like what your compass is, kind of helps keep you grounded in the chaos of like, oh my gosh, I have to do all the things at all the times. Right. (laughs) I love that analogy. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I try to do the same thing. It's like, focus on what's most important. Like I constantly question myself. I'm like, should I be doing this right now? Or like, should I be doing something more important? You know, am I going to regret this? Like wasting this time doing this? So I mean, being really efficient, right? And starting to be aware of those things that, okay, that can wait. That rubber ball can wait. I don't need to do that right now. My glass balls are much more important. Yeah, really finding your priorities. I think that's so important. But I mean, so much respect for you. I love your business. I love what you're doing. Um, So if you could give any advice to the moms out there right now that, you know, not are depressed, but like just surviving through their days and unhappy, like what would you advise them? Yeah. Um, I guess it depends like where they are in their journey, but like before baby arrives, like, um, there are a lot of things. I feel like we focus on the wrong things postpartum, right? We're like, Oh my gosh, which stroller is the best? Or like, which, which crib is the best? Or like, which organic mattress should I buy? Or, you know, what toys are going to make my baby the smartest. Right. But in reality, babies don't need all that much. What we are completely neglecting is kind of the needs of mom and the family unit as we go into the postpartum period. So any preparation you can do for the reality of postpartum life during your pregnancy or even before, I think will just go a long way, right? That might be thinking about, like you, I think you mentioned having a friend come over and like wash dishes or help Mm. you with laundry. Like the adulting doesn't stop just because you're in your like squirrel nest on your bed, like with the breast milk and like all the baby (laughs) stuff around you. Like the adulting doesn't stop when you're trying to heal your like C-section, like, you know. Right. um, And so having a plan to recruit people to your village, right? Yeah. Not everybody has family around. I understand that. Not everybody has good friends that they could, depend on, but that doesn't mean you can't start planting seeds today. You know, so some moms, you know, may be in a position where they, they aren't partnered, right. Whether that's by choice or just like circumstance. Um, sometimes there are communities of other single parents, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you might not have a nanny to come watch your kid, but Hey, can you trade days with, with the other single mom where you each watching each other's kid? Yeah. you know, it doesn't always have to be a financial investment, but invest in yourself by investing in your community so that your community can reciprocally kind of pour back, you know, into you. Yes. So I think really investing in what life is like, the realities of what life is like postpartum mm-hmm. um, can really can really go a long way. If you find yourself getting caught up and like, what do I put on my baby registry? Just take a pause, right? This is, this is not important. Right. <laughs> right. What is important is how you're going to feel, how you're like postpartum, right? How your family unit's going to feel, how you're going to um, persist in just feeling well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if you have an item like this, like a baby mitten, you're like, is this going to support my wellness postpartum? The answer is no, you know, remove, <laughs> remove from cart, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that. Yeah. Because I really think, I mean, looking back on my own postpartum journey, I really struggled. I mean, hence why I'm here. I'm a postpartum coach and whatnot. But um you know, I wish I had enjoyed it more, right? So I feel like if you're more prepared to take care of your wellness, you can enjoy those really hard. I mean, the first couple of months are hard. There's no doubt about it. But if you're prepared for it, like you said, then you just, you have 
more time to just soak it up and really enjoy those moments that fly by right like even though it's like the hardest time it's like it goes by so quick and your baby is you know up and crawling around already so I feel like just being able to enjoy those moments and be set up to to heal properly recover you know mentally and physically too is huge and and you really don't need that stuff I I went in to do a nursery check uh, for a friend and I was like, this is beautiful, but you literally don't need one of these things for when the baby's born. <laughs> you basically need diapers and, you know, a bassinet to sleep next right. to your bed. Yeah. And that's about yeah. it. So it just, it just speaks to like the maternal like crises that we have in this country. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in I th- want to say it's Sweden. They literally send parents home with a box that the baby sleeps in. Right. It supports safe sleeping practices. Yeah. Sleep in a flat you know, surface, it's, yes. It's a cardboard box, right? <laughs> right. And their health outcomes are so much better than 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 we have here. So yeah. we're just really focused on the wrong things. And I love what you said about supporting yourself mentally and physically, right? So, like as part of that postpartum plan, like how are you how are you going to support your sleep, yeah. right? How are you going to how are you going to make sure that you're staying hydrated, right? How are you going to make sure that you're new providing your body with enough nutrition for it to recover from the Olympic sport of carrying a baby for nine months and then delivering and then it, delivering it. Yeah. And breastfeeding and yeah. Breastfeeding. Yeah. Yep. It's, that is a whole situation. Yeah. It's a whole, a whole situation and people really underestimate how taxing that can be in your body, especially since our, you know, our maternity leave in this country is not great. Some people go back to work like two weeks you know know. after oh my god it's insane even six weeks I like can't even imagine it six weeks yeah yeah yeah. and so thinking about you know instead of maybe buying the that like mitten onesie or whatever that the baby will wear for two days because they outgrow they outgrow right right yeah can you put this into like a meal train can you put this into like making sure that um I don't know, someone can help do your laundry so that you can get that extra hour. Or a house cleaner, um, a lactation consultant, sleep consultant, psychiatrist, you know, really anything. Yeah, just to help you have a smoother transition into motherhood. Because it really is just the start, too. I mean, as you said, like these these babies don't need these things, but it's all that also goes into when the kid gets older too. I mean, we don't need to buy our children, right? We really just need to be there for them and their mental and health needs and love them and support them. I mean, that's really all kids want is for you to get down on their level and, you know, be there for them. So, you know, we don't have to spend all this money on these things to please and raise a good child and make them smart. It's much, much more than that. It's almost like uh, we sometimes I think we get caught up in performance, right? Oh, my baby has this like latest cute outfit that we can like post on Instagram Absolutely. or like my nursery has this like decal on the wall that I like, I don't, I don't know, you know, it's yeah. where, yes, those things are nice to have, but they are not yeah. certainly not essential and they certainly don't always push the needle forward in terms of your capacity to be the best mom you can be for your baby, Yeah, right? Be the best mom you need to be as mentally well as possible as mental as mentally like healthy as possible right yes 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 absolutely and yeah I mean it all comes down to kind of comparison um on social media these days but I mean if you just stay focused on like you said what's important to you keep that in mind and really focus on just your needs and the baby's needs you're going to be great and definitely ask for help I mean I I just think that's like a given I think a lot of people want to help when you have a baby um so whether that be someone comes over and gives you a meal I mean that's helpful in itself but we also have to be open to accepting that help you know you can ask for help 
Uh-huh. But you have to be like, yes, I will. I will let you come over and sit with the baby. You know, it's like you have yeah. to allow them to help. So that's important yeah. as well. Always with my moms, I always, you know, in some of our pre pre baby meetings, I'm like, what are the ways in which you, let's get explicit about it. What are the ways in which you need help? You need help buying groceries. You need help putting the groceries away. You need help doing the laundry. And we literally create a list. So when people come over and they're like, how can I help? You hand them that list, right? And it's like, just do something on this list because it then becomes emotional and mental labor. If someone's like, how can I help? And you're like looking around for what they can do to help you. You're like, I guess you can wash the bottle. You know, it's, it's, there's so much you have your, there's so much decision fatigue in parenthood, especially early parenthood. And especially Mm -hmm. for people who are prone towards anxiety, right? You're always second guessing, asking all these questions. Am I doing this the right way? Is this the right product? Is this the right time to, you know, all of those things, Mm -hmm. right? And it's something like, how can I help? It just kind of adds to that burden. Right. But if you do the work beforehand, right? How can I be supported postpartum? So anybody who comes over, you're like this, check something off of this list. I love that. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Everyone should have this list. Cause I mean, you're right. Like you just, by that time, you're probably so exhausted and there's just so many other things that you're learning at that moment. You don't really care that your floor is filthy or your bathroom is dirty or whatnot. So having that list, you don't even have to think about it. It's just like, I already made this. I know it's going to need to be done. Thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I love that. Well, that's great advice. So where do you see your business five to 10 years from now, Jennifer? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm currently still accepting um, patients. I practice across like four states, New York, California, Illinois, and Massachusetts. Okay. Um, you know, I hope to maybe begin more collaborations with other mental health professionals, particularly in the, like the women's, you know, the women's health space, yeah. um, women's mental health, you know, in particular, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when I say I spiral every day, you know, I spent, I don't know, the past like 15 years of like trying to get to an end point, right? Like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to be a, when I was in seventh grade, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. And then like, since then it's like chugging along this path, like over the past decade plus, like trying to become a doctor. And now that I have become, I'm like, what's next, right? What does this mean? What do I take? What do I do with these like skills that I have? And so, yes, I'll still be doctoring. I think it's to some yeah. capacity, like five to 10 years, but I think I'm learning that there's so many ways to use my skill set as a physician mm-hmm. for the greater good. Yes. Right. So I'm open to the curiosity. I'm open to like exploring. I'm open to talking to people. I love talking to people because it's that that's what plants the seeds of like inspiration yes. and allows you to kind of triangulate and facilitate innovation. Right. Yes. When you meet people who are different from yourself or doing things that are outside of your lane. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I mean, just constant evolution, right? You're just constantly growing. And I mean, that's how I feel too. I mean, I, if you had told me last year, I'd be hosting a podcast this year. Like, yeah, I would have been like, what are you talking about? But I mean, you really do just have to be open to those things. Just how can we help more, right? How can we reach more women? Yeah. How can we help more? And I, I love that. I see you yeah. doing huge things, lady. You're amazing. <laughs> so where can we find you on the internet? Um, so on the internet, my website for my practice is www.coralpsych.com coral like the color c so c o r a l p s y c h.com okay um and then i'm also on um instagram at um dr jennifer underscore o okay um and then i i recently just started a tiktok it only has it only has a few videos on it and i'm just like learning how to use the the platform oh you're (laughs) brave i do not have a tiktok (laughs) 
I'm just learning how to use it. And like, I totally see why it's really addicting because I'm like watching all these random videos now. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah, I have not tackled that one yet. I feel like Instagram takes up too much of my time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if anyone wanted to check out my writing, I'm a columnist for Stat News. So that's um, statnews.com. Or if you just Google my last name, Okwerefu, O-K-W-E-R-E-K-W-U. And Stat News, you'll see all my columns um, pop up. I often awesome. write about my journey in medicine and just like kind of the intersection of medicine and motherhood and being a woman of color, um, kind of through like a social justice kind of uh, lens. So Amazing. All right. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to link all of that below. But thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. So much good information that I know is going to help so many women. Thank you so much for having me and for your work on this podcast and kind of educating moms in this space about how we can all just be well and support each other and being well. Thank you. Yes, I will talk to you soon. You have an amazing day. I hope your daughters sleep really well. <laughs> Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Empowerhood is brought to you by Flourish Everyday Coaching. Check them out in the link below. And again, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. If you could take 60 seconds of your time and leave us an Apple review, this helps share the news about this podcast and help women all over the world. If you want to see the video version of this podcast, you can go to our YouTube channel and subscribe there. Thank you so much. And we'll see you at the next episode.